0: Welcome to Smart Business Hub Hubcast episode 3. The aim of this series is to share and provide inspiration with up close and personal conversations with Australian business leaders. Today I'm delighted to be with a passionate engineer turned CEO Stephanie Moroz. Did I pronounce that right Stephanie? Yeah Wonderful. Um, who's currently looking at battery storage technology through the facility on the Sunshine Coast um, with a company named Nanoneuval. Um, and really looking at at some of those ways of uh, reducing batteries, sorry, making batteries better to make our lives more sustainable. Welcome Stephanie. Hello. So we're actually sitting looking over in the new um, Australian Institute of Company Directors Lounge in the new office up here in Brisbane overlooking um, the Story Bridge. So it's quite distracting but um, we'll, we'll try and stay focused for the listeners. So Stephanie, before we're doing some research before this podcast, um, I had a look at your your career, which is pretty impressive, I might add. In the '90s, it looked like you were working as a, a project engineer, and you've you've had a real um, you know development or innovation series in your career where you've worked on hydrogen fuel cells, and now coming through, or and some heat exchanger stuff in there as well, um, through to solid state storage here in Brisbane now with Nano Nuvel. What What's that been like in your career? Like Reflecting back for you, what's been sort of the most exciting technology that you've worked on?
1: Well, every time I've changed from one topic to another, it's always been because I found something interesting in in the new topic that was in some way building on what I already knew, but also more interesting. So from that perspective each one has been more interesting than the previous and therefore now working with the battery materials it's uh, been the most interesting so far
0: yeah sure and you know like we're talking about there couldn't be it couldn't be more timely in australia with the energy crisis going on right everybody's talking about batteries there's so much buzz about energy security low cost affordable energy for for industry so it couldn't be more timely in that respect um, and it looks like you've transitioned, um, which is always a challenging thing, but transitioned from you know, an engineer to, to a project manager to a chief technology officer and now CEO. How's that transition been? You know, no, um, coming from an engineering background, we can be quite technically focused and then having to transition over to sort of a leader, leadership role that can, be, that can present challenges. What's that been like for you in, in your experience?
1: Um, most of the time, it's been it's been very good. Um, I originally was always interested in more of the systems aspects of things. So even when I was working on the engineering level, it was always looking at the whole system. So it was a bit natural to move into product development, where then I brought in other aspects of the system, like the marketing and the and the production and quality and uh, those sorts of aspects. And then with the next transition, bringing in. Um, more the full company issues around HR and IT and, and all the government governance aspects. so it's always been just building more and more. Um, mm. each transition of course took time to learn and adapt and yeah <laughs> but uh, engineers are good at that.
0: Was it hard to pry yourself away from the engineering to to focus more so on the business side? Was that a challenge for you?
1: Sometimes you really do have to pay attention that you're not spending too much time on the, on the parts that you like the best and that you're, you're good at. You have to make sure you balance it. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm still in very, very technical fields. So mm-hmm. it's a huge benefit for a CEO and a battery technology company to actually understand the technology when working with companies overseas and um, interacting with them.
0: Absolutely. So when you get those technical questions fired at you, you can provide a pretty solid response, right?
1: Yeah, I can usually at least give a general response and then go back to the technical people for the details. But at least I have a, the ability to interact with them in a, on a direct level immediately.
0: Yeah, sure. And I think we're seeing that more so too in the business world is, is um, you know, you know, things like Facebook, the CEO of that came from a very technical background and just rose up and ended up leading the company, which... Um, which has been to the success of many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now that you're in this leadership role and, and you know, you've know you got the reins of Nano Novel, um leading them through the transition stage, uh, obviously you've got the working lab and sort of transitioning from, from that lab through to commercialization. Um, what are some of the key challenges presented with that, that transition that you're going through or been through?
1: A few things. One is that all of our customers are overseas, and so mm. being a small company in Queensland and, and working with all these very big companies all around the world has has its own challenges. It's also um, it's also interesting in scaling up a new technology because you you need to provide large quantities to these battery companies for them to be able to validate whether they want it or not, and at the same time. You need their validation to get investors and um, people to believe in you enough to invest in you. So there's there's a bit of a chicken and egg situation there as well.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay, and and so well, I guess being so connected now with with technology and stuff as a big help. Um, how are we viewed on an international stage? Producing something that goes into battery manufacturing is. Is you know producing it in Australia or doing innovation in Australia do you think that's um, advantageous in, in any aspects or, or is it generally does that make it harder? <laughs> <laughs> well
1: it makes it harder from a distance point of view um, I don't think that we have a really strong reputation good or bad just because mm. there there really isn't that many Australia just isn't very visible on the world stage in, in a lot of areas and so so it doesn't work for or against us, really. Um, mm. People think it's interesting. Most people are, are keen to come visit, of course. Sure. <laughs> they think it's interesting, but uh, not very many of them get approval from <laughs> from, their, um, from their management to actually make the trip. Um, but it's, it's mostly, I'd say, mostly quite neutral, really.
0: Sure. Yeah. P- pretty exciting times. I mean, we know in Australia, if we're going to make things, they need to be highly skilled manufacturing processes, right? We're not, you know, obviously because of the cost of our labor and energy now, we're not so good at doing things at scale for low cost pro- uh, products, um, whereas battery is completely different, right? So I guess in that respect, we do have access to highly skilled people, and if we can create um, niche manufacturing processes that provide a, a product which is of high value. Then surely we'd be quite, well potentially quite well positioned to do that.
1: Potentially, but batteries are really being driven hard on the price. Mm. So, and it's not just the energy and labor costs; it's also the transportation costs. Mm. So, uh, getting our materials to a battery maker in overseas would would uh, have a substantial travel cost and time as well in getting it there. So, sure. there are reasons why you would want to put our type of manufacturing close to the battery maker.
0: Yeah, of course. So potentially do the innovation here, but when it gets time to scale, mm. do that offshore.
1: Yeah, most likely. Where,
0: where are most of the batteries made? Of um,
1: at the moment, it's really China and South Korea that right. have the most. There's quite a bit in Japan as well.
0: Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, obviously, that yeah, creates some, some distance challenges when you're talking about something that weighs a lot as well. You know, in, in, in large large portions. So I watched your TED talk, which I thought was I really enjoyed. By the way, I thought that was super interesting, um, and it, it made me it made me sort of think. You know, I'm the kind of person I'm really good in small numbers. If you get me in the boardroom, then I, I won't shut up pretty much. But um, when I when I attend conferences or exhibitions in a big crowd, I tend to be the guy in the corner talking to one or two people. And it, that that TED talk made me think how I'd handle. Um, you know, I'll go through that process with with the TED talk. Um, and I was wondering, you know, what how was the experience for you? You know, how did you go through that process? I know for me that I'd probably be quite nervous before it, but once I get into public speaking, I really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, I was just wondering how you sort of prepared and, and went through that process.
1: Well, Ted, yeah, it was, it was extremely nerve-wracking because not just the public speaking, but the whole brand around it. It's mm. so, much, um, so much higher prestige than the... T- sort of technical conferences I normally present at. And even at the technical conferences, I tend to hide behind my data and charts, <laughs> and I'm speaking to people who understand that sort of thing. So sure. so TED was a different experience, um, having a much broader audience. Um, what was good, though, is that in order to, p- to protect that brand, they have a very structured process. So you need to provide drafts very early on, and, and they get modified as you go, and you keep checking in with the organizers. So, so that made it, um, it made it so that you couldn't just leave it to the last minute and yeah, <laughs> pop
0: up with a, a slideshow. Yeah. Okay, and
1: so it was definitely challenging though, and um, even if any talks I've done since have been much easier in comparison <laughs>
0: that's the pinnacle huh? yeah. yeah right well, I guess you know that's that's insightful There's obviously they like you say they have a brand to protect so um, a collaborative process leading up to the event to, to execute yeah that's how yeah great that's interesting that's, yeah, that's good and no doubt they put out an amazing amount of, um, of talks that are really engaging and everybody talks about them um, in your particular talk I really love the way you define the problem you know, you talk about um, how we need to get off fossil fuels, obviously, to, to solve the world's um, energy problems and energy storage problems, um, and that we really need batteries that, that, that are going to last a long time and use less materials to, to manufacture. How will Nano be a key in, in changing that from your point of view?
1: Well, NanoNuvel's technology is really interesting in that it, it takes a different approach to the internal structure of the battery. And because it's a highly porous material, we're able to reduce the amount of material to serve the same function. And so it's able to make batteries quite a bit lighter than otherwise.
0: Yeah, so I was reading in your, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, your Luma foil is up to 75, uh, 70% less material than typical copper foil, which equates to about a 10% reduction, is that? Is that roughly right in the battery yeah, size? Yeah,
1: it can be up to 70% lighter just in the foil. And then the foil is a very large percentage of the whole battery. So as a result, it can be up to 10% of the battery weight that's, re- that's reduced.
0: Sure. And is that the main, this might sound like a silly question, but is that the main opportunity to, or the main area to start with reducing the volume of a battery? or are there also going to be multiple or other areas where you can really chop down that physical size and increase the capacity?
1: There's a lot of different battery innovations going on that all can, some of them work together, some of them are mutually exclusive. And one of the benefits of, of the LumaFoil is that it works together with most of the other innovations that are that are in development elsewhere.
0: Yeah, okay, okay. A- and I know, and we'll probably talk about this a bit later, but um, I've seen your approach, a lot of it is about sort of dropping into existing processes. That's, that's the way you've sort of designed it, yeah?
1: Yeah, and that's really important as a component in the battery in order to be widely accepted. It, it's best if it can just simply go in and replace something else. And so we've put a lot of work into being able to develop the processes to make it in a, in a role format that can be then put through the processing systems in the battery manufacturers and that it will also have the strength and the robustness to handle that process.
0: So in the ideal world, once you're fully commercialized, you'd be have the ability to pump out rolls of lumifor yep. and then drop those straight into the existing manufacturing process of large like exactly. battery. Yeah, fantastic. I love that approach. Um, you know, really thinking about not only just the technology and, and how it does this, but... How's it actually going to gonna, gonna slot into what we're doing now, right? Which is much easier for business to adopt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And um, also just circling back to that or talking a bit more about the TED Talk stuff, um, you know, you mentioned that the best innovations happen when people stop doing what everyone else is doing. You know, that just clearly articulates and makes me want to go, I should stop my day job and and go <laughs> and do something innovative because that's really exciting. Have you always had the pleasure... Of working in that innovation space, or were you you were just you know drawn to it, or did you did you fall into that space, or how did it happen for you?
1: I've always been in in new technology development. So from my first engineering role, where I was with hydrogen fuel cells back in the '90s, when most people had never heard of such a thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, through to the the engine development, that was also all looking at new new ways to reduce pollution and, and fuel consumption, and, and, um, and then throughout the, the materials for hydrogen storage as well. So it's always been new developments and always energy-related.
0: Sure, yeah, great. Are, are fuel cells, whereabouts do you see them? I mean, we certainly don't see them pop up much in Australia. <laughs> is that a technology you think that just will become obsolete, or is it still competitive in any sense?
1: It really depends on what what the purpose is and there there is still quite a lot of work going on in in Asia and Europe and even some in California with fuel cell vehicles and um, rolling out uh, networks of refueling stations so that they can they can drive wherever they need to and refuel the big advantages of course the range you can get ranges mm-hmm. similar to a petrol car or even further and batteries it's difficult to see how they would be able to achieve that and then also the refill speed you can just fill it up in a couple minutes Mm. so there are definitely advantages to it but the infrastructure is the difficult part getting the refueling stations where they need to be
0: yeah yeah because i know that was trialed in perth i think um
1: i think perth had some buses and buses or taxi fleets or any sort of situation where you have a lot of vehicles coming back to the same spot you can manage it with a single fueling station Mm. but passenger cars of course people want to go on vacation or travel wherever they want to go and that's where you need to have that whole network
0: right so it works at scale if you've got common infrastructure but not for mums and dads who want to drive to the supermarket and grab something and then go on holiday and whatnot Mm -hmm. okay yeah interesting We might shoot into a bit of a more of a technical discussion, I suppose, for all the um, tech heads out there. Um, So if you're not a tech head, you might want to opt out of the the podcast at this point in time. Um, In in doing my research and getting prepared for this podcast, I was reading more about NanoNovell and and how um, you've successfully proved that graphite adheres to nanomaterials and that the lumifor roles are strong enough for commercial battery production lines. Can you just walk us through, you know, the simplified process to making a battery, just so we can all kind of understand?
1: <laughs> well, it's quite a, quite a long process. There's many different components that need to come together. Essentially, you have the two electrodes that are flat, you have a separator between them, you have packaging around them, and you have electrolyte that is a liquid that goes in and that's, that's how the ions can, can move around. So the part that's most relevant to us is the electrode. And the electrode is formed of a, a, a solid foil, normally, of metal. And then you have particles that you coat onto that. And those particles have the active material, which is the, the part that holds the energy. Yeah. And so where the luma foil comes in is that it can replace that solid foil with something that's porous and much lighter but porous on a very tiny scale, so you don't have any problems of of leaking through or any of that when you put the particles onto it. So it's able to replace that and, and go through.
0: Mm. So the so really it's about the actual physical size of like having having the porous material right. That effectively gives you a much much bigger surface area of the electrode.
1: Um, that's actually more of the the next step where we we have the nanode in development, and the right. nanode incorporates the active material throughout the material. The luma foil, though, it's putting the active material on the outside of the material. So in that case, the porosity is just reducing the weight by, by not having copper. Yeah, right. There.
0: So the so the, the luma foil now, that could potentially reduce battery, the physical size of a battery by 10%. The
1: weight of the oh, battery.
0: The, the weight of the battery by 10%. Um and does that, that increase the capacity as well?
1: Well, if you have the same weight battery then you have more capacity. So yeah, it depends sure. on which way you look at it. It's the same capacity but lighter weight or yep. same weight but more capacity.
0: Sure. And and the market that would be most applicable to would be um device batteries, you know, appliances, drills? Most um
1: the most applicable markets for the production in weight would be where the battery has to power its own transport. So, things like drones, really mm. critical, mm. because it has to carry itself. Yep. And so, having more energy, less weight, it's able to fly further. Or, vehicles, also very, very appealing. Um, with um, the mobile devices, that would probably be, again, more towards our, our longer term pro- uh, product, which would be the nanode, in which we incorporate the um, active materials throughout inside the material and that would then also have volume reductions
0: sure so that project so we can get 10 percent out of what you're doing now and then the next phase of that what's what's that looking like in terms of um battery development
1: that one it's it's earlier stage at this point but it's looking more at 50 percent and also in volume so it's much smaller volume and weight
0: that's incredible right um yeah, I mean, I, I sort of thought about this coming to the weekend, you know, doing a bit of DIY at home, right? Mm-hmm. Going down to Bunnings, buying a power tool, um, just observing how far the battery on, say, you know, just a normal power tool has come along. Um, whereas, you know, just simple things in day-to-day are becoming obsolete, like your, you know, your lawnmower that's petrol-powered, that'll mm-hmm. no longer be in five years, quite possibly, right? Um, your hedge trimmer or, or things that you use on the weekends at home. Such a big effect in our daily lives. And once you think about it, um, we actually use batteries a lot more than what we probably, you know, we really think about.
1: Yeah, and at one point I tried to count up how many batteries I had between, <laughs> between your wireless mouse and your watch and your phone and tablet mm. and computer. <laughs> and, yeah. And then all the different gadgets around the house that are all starting to pop up that have batteries and often wi-fi as well it's uh, really changing the way we do things but we don't necessarily notice it so much it's you buy one here and there and they add up
0: (laughs) yeah yeah that's right um and they can become such a throwaway item as well but but then when you start talking you know stuff like energy storage with solar then they're not they're they're long-term investments or long-term pieces of kit that we hang on to so yeah quite a Quite a wide range in our in our lives that we use and, and rely on, right? So, also notice here, like we kind of talked about before, I, f- I found that really interesting. How um, you've intentionally, well, I assume it's been intentional with the Lumafoil, um, to to develop it in such a way that it just slots into current practices. Um, did, did that Did that happen from day one? Was that really intentional or? You know, because I imagine it's hard when you're doing R&D and you're developing this material to serve a purpose, but then also so that it slots into how things are done now. How You know, how did you sort of work through combining those two things? Because they're not always, you know... Mm-hmm. Th- it doesn't always happen like that when things are developed.
1: Yeah, no, the natural tendency is to come up with a lot of solutions th- based on what would work physically. Uh, but I think... Having those ten years in automotive engineering really really made me realize how critical it is when you have large-scale production that you can't just throw away your production line and build a new one mm. that's millions of dollars of investment and you need to be able to amortize that investment
0: mm. and
1: if um, if you want to have a new product then it, it has to be at least adaptable to those existing processes so right from the start we we focused on every every choice we made. We had to ask ourselves, "Is this going to be feasible in the real world?" Because there's no point continuing if there's if we can't at least imagine some way that we could make it work in production.
0: Yeah, and was that kind of collaborative with current manufacturers, or did you just have that skill set on board to understand how things are currently done?
1: Um, had that the skill set to know that it had to match what needed to be or what's currently done, but. Mm finding out what is currently done, that has been a lot more in collaboration with the battery manufacturers.
0: Yeah, and, and they've been very forthcoming in terms of working through that?
1: Yeah, we've worked re- very well with them, and, and each one's a bit different as well, so it's important to work with more than one so that you understand the different constraints that different manufacturers have.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. And so you recently were awarded a uh, almost half a million dollars from the federal government, so congratulations mm-hmm. on that. To commercialize the technology and now you're seeking six million in capital by the end of June how's that how's that process been for the organization you know raising raising that money uh, you know I imagine is always a challenge but how's it been for for Nouvelle?
1: It is always a challenge and for the organization it's also we're getting so much customer interest that it takes a lot of time to keep building those customer relationships but at the same time fundraising so uh, you're a bit split in in where your attention is going, um, but it's it's also um, it's been quite quite interesting because we have a lot of individuals who are very interested in investing. But at the moment, we we don't um, necessarily have all of the six million that we're looking for. So mm. um, still working on that.
0: So plenty of opportunities there for um, for investors that want to get on board. Yeah, it, it'll be pretty. I imagine. Um, you know, batteries are progressing at a, ba- a great rate. There's absolutely no doubt that they're not going to be a key part of our energy system, not just in, you know, watches like we talked about from what did you mention, from your wristwatch to your mouse, but also in the home energy system. Um, surely you would only see, you know, a positive way forward there for the technology being, being part of that ride. Right? Yeah. If, if you're an investor, you know, from the outside mm. looking in, um, it'd be pretty hard to pick holes in it, wouldn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it is, but every investor has their own their own areas of interest, and uh, and so it's always that's a trick with inv- with fundraising is that finding the right investors who have the same areas of interest that that you're working on. Mm. And uh, there's the moment there's a lot of interest in uh, IT. Uh, technology or fintech and yeah. things that are very very quick to see results, whereas materials development does take a bit longer to um, to progress through the stages and, and then you need substantial capital as well to to get from one stage to the next when you want to scale up. So yeah. it's it's a different sort of investor. So
0: Yeah, sure. Yep. But once you're once you're entrenched in that manufacturing process though, there's there's a long, solid return there, right? or a long, solid pathway there, I should say.
1: Yeah, this, it's a very big market, and it's a rapidly increasing market as well. And also, we bring some very tangible benefits to the to mm. the battery that is um, very appealing for the customers.
0: Absolutely. And I would have thought from a manufacturer or battery manufacturing point of view, um, it would kind of be a race to include the technology so that you could get one up on your competitor.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why we can't say who we're working with because we all always have... Uh, confidentiality agreements, they, they don't want the competitors knowing what technologies they're following of, up on.
0: Of course, absolutely, and that's uh, yeah becoming, like you said, uh, you know, a race to um, a race to get the cheapest dollars per kilowatt hour right so we can get one in every home say for, for solar systems. So what's the next step, you know, once you've raised the six million, what's kind of your next key milestone beyond that?
1: Well that's, that money is to go towards a pilot scale Production that we would uh, install here in Australia to be able to produce rolls that the manufacturers, the battery manufacturers, could then run through their their, um, equipment and validate the material completely. At the moment, we've been able to run a couple trials um, externally one trial to produce a number of small rolls, and then another trial to coat them with battery, battery processes. What we need now is to be able to produce much longer rolls and more frequently, and optimize those processes. So that's what the um, the scale up would be for.
0: Yeah, sure, okay. And then so trial or pipe basically develop them in Australia, get them made, ship them over to Singapore, Japan, China, all those places, get them tested on their production runs, um, and then from there, would would we expect to see you know, a scaled up manufacturing facility in Australia or would it more be about keeping innovation here and, and then scaling that in, in those other countries or how do you think that process would go from, um, you know, that f- once the pilot's proven uh, after that full, you know, scaling it up, how do you think that would roll out?
1: Well, i up, up until about a month ago it was quite clear that we would do the, the real scale up to full scale manufacturing overseas. But actually what's been interesting recently is that um, Magnus Resources, it's a graphite company, mm-hmm. has, um, with a consortium of, of different companies around the world, they're doing a feasibility on a battery manufacturing plant in Townsville. Okay. And so if there is a, a real plant in Australia, then... We'd have to go through the the validation and see if our our material matched their needs. But if that was the case, then it would be worth looking at whether we would also have a plant nearby to to supply it for the same reasons that we would want to be near the Chinese or Korean manufacturers now. You want to be close to your your customer and deliver quickly.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Plus minerals as well, the minerals being able to be sourced partly from Australia. The process, um, or are they?
1: I'm not sure how much that factors into it. Mm. I, I'm not aware of all the details, but I have spoken with them, and and they certainly seem interested in seeing if they can make it work in Townsville. So, mm. um, hopefully, they they can, make can work it out, and make it happen. Tap <laughs> onto that.
0: Yeah, it comes back to the jobs and growth, right? And I have to drop that in there. But we see so much, I suppose, negative pressure around the media, particularly around you know hanging on to. I suppose carbon intensive mining around coal and and things like that yet there's this huge opportunity for jobs and growth (laughs) related to all this new stuff so solar batteries and um, new scale technology right so it's just I think it's probably more of a question of if and how Australia could adopt it would you agree with that?
1: Certainly and and especially anything to do with solar or, or any renewables Australia has so many resources in that area and then if you look at all the residential battery companies, they're all testing out Australia and the U.S. as their two test markets mm. and the, the U.S. obviously because it's, it's big and it's a leader, but of all the other countries they could choose, they're choosing Australia because the fit is just so natural to um, to put batteries with the with solar power here and um, so yeah, there's huge opportunities in that area.
0: Couldn't agree more. And it seems like on a, on a utility or a large scale, it seems like flow batteries are, are quite dominant in that area. You know, obviously their, their, their life expectancy is quite long and being able to just dis- discharge quite rapidly and things like that. Um, but then with, with vehicles, probably going to be powered by lithium-ion, I assume. How do you think energy storage will evolve in the next ten years? you know do you think it'll change significantly or will we you know will it just push along nicely We'll all be driving an electric car in ten <laughs> years or do you think it won't be that quickly or, or quicker look?
1: I think it'll be very dependent on local conditions which technologies are the best and and um, which direction things will go so large-scale utilities at the moment that's dominated actually by pumped hydro most of the energy storage is is pumping water to a higher location and then Mm. and then running it back down through turbines to uh, to get the energy back so um, if you have the geography for that that's extremely cost-effective and you can store very large amounts but if you have um, other conditions where you want the energy faster or you want a higher round-trip efficiency, then batteries start to make more sense, and uh, just really there's so many different factors in both the usage profile and the, what's available locally as well. If you have um, different, different um, geographies or different energy sources locally, then you'll approach it differently. So I think probably what's going to happen is people will get a better handle on where the optimums lie for the different technologies. At the moment, all the technologies are developing so quickly Mm. that it's hard to pick what the optimum is because next year it could be different. (laughs) So I think as as they start to stabilise, then it might become clearer which ones fall under which niches.
0: I heard from one, was reading about one manufacturer um, that was looking to reduce their that battery cost per kilowatt hour by 65 percent by 2020 um, you know and, and like you say to your point that clearly significantly changes the economics um, of what it looks like today versus what it would look like in, in three years um, and that's yeah, yeah like you say it's, it's a race to get to that that lowest cost and what you know the technology that might win in the right situation
1: well it's it's also not just cost it's some, some batteries will recu- require a really long life with many cycles, others maybe not so much, and so your cost situation might change in, in those conditions. So mm. it, again, even within lithium-ion batteries, you'll have quite divergent paths that people will follow, different chemistries, different structures, looking for robustness or for lifetime or for just plain energy density. For example, with the drones, they come back and they say, well, we don't need many cycles because most people crash their drone anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. So <laughs> fair enough. whereas the cars, they're, of course, looking for a lot more cycling.
0: Yeah. What about in the home? Um, you'd be looking for a battery to last 10, 15 years, do you think, more?
1: Yeah. Well, again, it, it depends how much the cost is over the lifetime as well um, and how how much you want to cycle it each day? So, mm. if you're only using it a little bit each day and then a bit more for backup, that's a different profile than if you're completely charging and draining it every day. Yeah, and so you might use a different type of battery.
0: That's a good segue to my next question. Um, you know, I know in and around workplaces and and just generally in the media, everybody knows Tesla, everyone knows Elon mm-hmm. Musk. Um, you know, for a from Australian. Manufacturing facility that you have or innovation—is that does that sometimes get a little bit frustrating? Um, you know, when we've got so much great stuff going on here la- locally um, <clears throat> to go up against, I suppose, you know, an international juggernaut like that.
1: <laughs> uh, I wouldn't really see it that way because it's—it's it's not as though that attention is taking away from attention that we would have had otherwise. I Mm. think it's quite the opposite, that because they're so visible and they're doing such an excellent job of marketing and and putting batteries in the spotlight, that people then start to think about batteries and start to pay more attention to some of the other innovations that are going on. So if there was no Tesla making all that that noise and getting all the attention, there might, I think there would probably be less attention paid to the other battery companies.
0: That's a great point. I couldn't agree more, actually. because they just seem to have created this, this huge following of, of your average person that has a limited understanding of, of energy or, or the challenges around energy, but yet they know what a Tesla car mm-hmm. and battery is.
1: Exactly, and therefore they, they, they know that batteries can be used for these purposes. And if they decide to go out and get a battery, then well, hopefully they will actually do a bit of research and figure out which one is the best fit for their needs. Uh, and then look at all of the options. But uh, if there was no Tesla, then maybe they wouldn't even think of that possibility.
0: Yeah, you did right. I think you did right. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, it becomes a question now: of Will we see, will we see those batteries in everyone's homes, or will we see them mainly on a utility scale? What, what's your thoughts on that one?
1: A lot depends on how they how they figure out to how to reform the tariff structure of the grid electricity because there's a huge problem at the moment that how how you're build for your electricity doesn't actually correspond to the cost structure of providing it. Mm. And so it, it depends a lot on how they how they figure out how they're going to resolve that. If they have tariff structures that more accurately represent the costs, then there could be a strong motivation to get batteries to reduce your peak loads uh, because your maximum load is actually a pretty big issue for the, for the delivery of electricity. It's not so much how much you use overall, it's, it's what are your peak loads and are they at the same time as everyone else's peak. So those, those applications could really um, encourage battery um, use, but it has to be structured appropriately so that it makes economic sense for someone to buy the battery.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right. One of the key... Hurdles, which you know, is identified as tariff structure and reform around that, right, to enable trading of energy, smart grid, all that that sort of infrastructure. Um, and I know when I, you know, when I was doing my postgraduate energy learning about, you know, cross subsidies and those sorts of things, whereby um, people in high density areas basically subsidise those in non dense mm. areas. Um, and if we can figure out a way to remove those cross-subsidies and make more cost-reflective pricing, mm-hmm. um, then, yeah, it may turn out that we, we do have a battery in everyone's everyone's dwelling rather than a central location.
1: Or or it could be that the people in the rural locations have batteries because it makes more sense to put a battery in than a really long wire, yep. Yep. whereas people in a higher-density area might have a more centralised battery storage than, rather than having it in their homes because there are a lot of advantages to also having it more centralised. You can mm. control the environment and the safety and the maintenance and everything with um, a higher level of, of um, security and reliability than each person can do on their own. So, yeah, yep. it really depends on the situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you did right. That community kind of sense where you, you have got lots of people using it reduces the cost and, and maintenance and, and reliability, like you say um but then yeah people living out western queensland (laughs) miles and miles away from the next pole if you like more sense to be maybe off grid um yeah that's that's really interesting look stephanie before before we close out the podcast i'd just like to acknowledge you and your work the work that you're doing um i think that's incredible and i'm sure the listeners have enjoyed hearing about how batteries are progressing and you're actually at the coalface of that um helping to make our lives more sustainable um, and making things easier so congratulations and well done thank you and thanks so much for contributing to smart business hub podcast
1: my pleasure